Hello everyone, welcome to Shades and Layers. I'm your host, Gudwanas Kusana Ritchie. This is episode two of season two of Shades and Layers, and the focus during the season is on well-being and the black woman entrepreneurs who are changing the face of the space. Well, I would say democratizing it, so to speak. And today we're celebrating a return to the self, rediscovering your roots as a fundamental part of healing, self-care and well-being. I'm very excited to share with you today a conversation with Copenhagen-based psychotherapist Yemma Ferreira, who originally comes from Luanda, Angola. The reason why I wanted to speak with her at first was because she calls her work facilitating black girl magic. So I was curious about how exactly she does that. And then I dug a little deeper and discovered that she also incorporates African spirituality into her practice. Now, remember, she's living in Denmark and it doesn't get more homogenous than Denmark or all of Scandinavia for that matter. So definitely my curiosity was piqued. And then I encountered her through a women's career network in Copenhagen called um, ProWalk, where she was mentoring a very good friend of mine and I heard only good things. So when I was preparing for this season of Shades and Layers, uh, I, she was one of the first people I thought to invite for a conversation. And luckily she said yes and didn't even hesitate. So when we did uh, a pre-interview, she explained that uh, her calling was definitely clear from the very start. And in a few moments, you'll hear the story of how she knew that what she wanted to do was uh, become a psychotherapist or a healer when she grew up. So without further ado, let's uh, get started with this conversation. We'll be chatting about mental wellness um, how essential it is to general well-being, how we understand ourselves and our surroundings, and basically our worldview, and how this perception of the self influences or informs our choices when we decide to heal ourselves from whatever is hurting us or whatever wounds we are living with. Um, she'll talk about what tools are best or explain some of them. So without further ado, here's Yema Ferreira black woman therapist so for those who don't know what is psychotherapy and how would you describe your work mm -hmm. that's a very good question um so psychotherapy is the art of working with people therapeutically so working with it's it's a talking therapy um that attends to our psychological and emotional and spiritual well-being if you mm -hmm. have that approach as a professional. Mm -hmm. um, yes, so basically healing through talking. Mm. I like that you call it an art. Why do you use that language? Mm. I use that language because, well, one, because in practice, that's really what it is. Because, and, and I'm calling it an art because it's, um, there are obviously theories and the work of those who came before and what we can learn from that. And science has been used as, used as a method of um developing further um, methodologies. Mm -hmm. But when you are in the room with a client, it's very much an intuitive process. 
Mm-hmm. And it's very much about, about expression. It's very much about self-expression. And it's very much about um, going with the flow of what's coming and, and creating something, weaving a narrative out of that and weaving um, new perspectives out of it. Mm. And how is it different from, say, uh, standard or traditional psychology? So that's a very good question. We might as well throw psychiatry in there because those are the things, Mm. the three things that people are usually not very clear about. What's the difference between psychiatry, psychology, psychotherapy, counseling, and all these different words that you professionals use and we have no idea about. Mm. Uh, so psychiatry is medicine. A psychiatrist is a medical doctor who specializes in psychiatry. Um, and usually a psychiatry deals with the more, um, the more, uh, serious mental illness, like, um, like schizophrenia, mm-hmm. for example, or other psychotic disorders. Uh, and they prescribe medication. And there's not so much talking. It's kind of looking at it from a very medical mm. viewpoint. And there's a lot of work in um, kind of containing um, containing threatening behavior, right? Because right. sometimes when you're, yes. And so that's why, in a way, psychiatry has a very violent history because... I mean, like, how else do you restrain? That's a whole other conversation, right? But, mm, mm. Yes, it's it's a very, very medical approach. And um, in my view, historically violent and currently has transformed into more of a, a chemical approach to that violence, mm. but it's still there. Right. Uh, that psychiatry psychology is a is a broad field within social science just like sociology anthropology and all the other ones and psychology uh, has many different sub um, areas of specialization so one of the areas of specialization within psychology is clinical psychology mm-hmm. So clinical psychologists and um, counseling psychologists are very much about, yes, doing this therapeutic work. In some countries, psychologists, clinical psychologists uh, also prescribe uh, medication. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's, it's pretty much the same as psychotherapy. So psychotherapy okay. is the same, but psychotherapy perhaps comes from a more, uh, it's, very, it's a very applied version of it. For example, you know, many psychologists will later uh, train as psychotherapists. So you have psychiatrists who train as psychotherapists so they can do that, that part. Okay. What led you to this work? For as long as I can remember having awareness of myself, mm. I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I didn't know what it was called. I didn't know professionally when I grew up, I didn't know what um, that would be, but I knew 
that I wanted to work therapeutically with people. I knew that I wanted to um, to work with people to help them heal mm. trauma, things that had happened in, in, in the past. Mm. And, um, I mean, what, what was this influenced by? I mean, are you initiated in any traditional healing practices or you grew up around that? What, what gave really, you this strong instinct? Wow, that's really, that's a really good question because I am not, I'm not initiated into, as far as I know, and certainly as far as I knew, um, I was not, but I, I came to understand myself as coming from that tradition. And I came to understand my knowing as a young child, as my intuition speaking to me and telling me that this is why I was here. Right. And it's very, I mean, it's amazing that uh, you were in touch with that and didn't run away from mm -hmm. that uh, instinct to go in that direction and mm -hmm. uh, being able to combine it with a Western approach. Um, have you found that there's a contradiction or you are able to marry the two different styles, I would say, of, of healing? Mm. So there's a lot of questions in that question. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm gonna there's so to much to unpack. <laughs> I'm going to try to get all of them. I think the first one I heard was, um, right, you said it, it was amazing that I, that I sort of knew that and felt that and didn't run away. And that's really interesting because in... It's true that this, this is the one thing in my life that I've never doubted. And it's the one thing I was very shy and timid and insecure as a child. And I was very, um, you know, I was not as, as a child and, and, and a young woman and an adult woman into my, certainly into my 20s. Mm -hmm. um, I was not somebody who fought for what I wanted. I was very obedient. I did what, what I was told. And I, you know, if, 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 if it wasn't the right thing for me, I would be sad and I would stuff it. But this is the one thing that no one ever could tell me that it couldn't be. Interestingly, because the other thing I also always knew was that I was a writer. Mm. And that one I have had a very different relationship with, and that one I have run away from. Why? Um, in in the way that maybe you were thinking I might run from the other one. Mm. And I think the reason I didn't run from the reason I didn't run from the the healer calling, if I can say it that way. Mm is because it didn't, I mean, it didn't scare me and it didn't, um, and I didn't understand it then as I do now, right? Mm -hmm. So all I knew then was that I was going to help people feel better because, you know, I, 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 I'm from Angola and I, and I grew up um, at a time where the country was at war for like 30 years. Yeah. So, so all of my life until my very late uh, 20s, the country had always been at war. It was at war when I was born and it was still at war when I was 20, 
greed, definitely. Mm. Uh, and so the the way I knew this is that I would be, I'd be laying in bed at night, sort of going to sleep, and I would be thinking of those children who were in the war zones in the areas that were actually affected by the war, because I was in Rwanda and we were not affected by the okay. war. Yeah, but I would Rwanda. be thinking of them, and I would be thinking, I don't remember how that thinking took place, but but I, I would be thinking that when they were older, I would be working with them to help them process what they, what they were going through now. So there's nothing scary about that. It wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't having visions or I wasn't seeing people. I wasn't hearing voices or anything like that. Mm. But, but you knew you had a role to play in that healing yes. process. Yes, it was very clear, simple and uncomplicated. Mm. But writing was complicated? Yes. <laughs> I don't know how it came down. <laughs> you know. To reach their own trauma. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we each have our fears, yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, yes, writing was very complicated. Right. But, um, so you have, you didn't run away and you found a way to marry traditional or spirituality with a Western tradition of psychotherapy? Or would you say that's that's how your work is? Well, I, I definitely, that was not the journey. Um, because I, I, I didn't marry it. Uh, when, so when I, um, when I chose a, a professional path to go down, I chose the thing that, of, of the choices that were available, right, to, to get an education in, I chose the one that made sense in terms of the thing I knew I was here to do, and that was psychology. Mm-hmm. So I, I did my bachelor's in psychology. Mm-hmm. And then um, I was thinking about going to graduate school um, to to become a, a, a proper psychologist because a BA doesn't give you, um, it gives you neither the title nor, nor the skills to, to work as a therapist. Right. <clears throat> and I really wasn't very sure. I, 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 I really wasn't sure I wanted to go for clinical psychology. I had um, throughout my years at university, I had worked at a, um, a lab and there was just something about the clinical psychology path that didn't feel exactly right for me. So I decided to just uh, go back home and work for a few years and then figure it out. Mm. And um, eventually I came, I came here to Denmark. I had a child. Then, um, then I said, okay, my child is one year old now. I need to figure out what to do with myself. And I want to, um, I want to go, I want to continue my training. And I started look, work, looking in the traditional places for um, psychology, masters in psychology. Mm. Um, and there wasn't really anything that um, had what I was looking for. Um, 
And then I, psychotherapy thing, just kind of one day I didn't really know what else to do. I was kind of feeling at a loss. And this ad for a psychotherapy thing, like just flicked across my computer screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I was like, what, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> so I searched um, and looked at a couple of schools and then went to an open house. And the minute I sat there, I just knew this was for me. This was exactly what I was looking for. And then it was through my training, not through, but during my training, in that journey of training to become a psychotherapist, that I gradually became aware that the thing that was in me was this African traditional healer thing and that I was just learning a modern tool that was equivalent to it. You're listening to Shades and Layers. My guest today, Yama Ferreira. As psychotherapist based out of Copenhagen in Denmark and working mainly with women of color, who are looking to reconnect with their roots. She uses the tagline facilitating black girl magic and the social media handle black woman therapist. Up next, she explains how she works with her clients and exactly what she means by her tagline. You know, how do you facilitate this black girl magic? Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll start by saying, by saying, why I used that tag- tagline of facilitating black girl magic and how how I'm sort of understanding the term in that context. Um, so by by facilitating black girl magic, I mean that we all, and this is all of us, regardless of gender or race, I do believe that we all have something in us we all have um something special something unique in us and that is the thing usually that we came to be or do in the world unfortunately um we are socialized and then go on to socialize our children to to one um not be in contact with that but also to really move away from it and and become this kind of robotic formatted version of themselves so that um, they can fit, we can fit into society. Mm. Um, So when I say facilitating black girl magic, I mean that I want to help you go back inside of you and get that thing, that jewel that is yours. You can really truly authentic authentically be yourself because that, that will that will allow you to to know who you are and then do what you came to do in the world so then to the question of how how do i do it <laughs> <laughs> yes how do you do this <laughs> hmm, how do i do it um by holding space creating a a space that feels safe enough for my clients to gradually uh, reclaim themselves, really. So so in in other words, by seeing them, 
when when we are seen in a safe space, then we begin to see ourselves. Right. I want to get more into that because mm. there's an aspect which stands out. Um, for example, your social media handle, Black Woman mm. Therapist. Mm -hmm. First of all, was that an easy handle to secure? Yes, I think I tried a couple. I think I tried, um, I don't remember what, I tried Black Therapist mm -hmm. and that was taken. Mm -hmm. I tried another one, I don't remember what, and then I said, well, Black Woman Therapist because I am a Black woman and I work with Black women. And so when somebody sees that, um, like they'll know immediately what this is. Mm. It's very interesting that it wasn't taken. You know, if, you know, something like Instagram has been around for almost 10 years now. Um, I don't know when you started using the handle, <laughs> but still, year. sorry. Last year. In, exactly. <laughs> so here we are, you know, at this uh, advanced stage of uh, social media or a particular platform of social media. And uh, that handle is still available. I think that's a signal mm -hmm. to say... This is not a common association, black woman and therapist. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, does that make your uh, work easier? Or, I mean, perceptions, uh, how, how do they affect your practice, these perceptions? Well, this is what I want for my practice. Uh, I know exactly who I'm here to work for. And I'm really only interested in attracting those people. The women I'm speaking to, I want the woman I'm speaking to, I want her to, when she lands on my website, no matter which page she lands on, I want her to know that I'm speaking specifically to her. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, that handle, Black Woman Therapist, um, works very well. Because the women who are looking, and sometimes they didn't even know they were, they couldn't articulate it. You know, they've been looking for a therapist and they've been um, maybe had a couple of sessions here and there and they couldn't put it into words. And then they see black woman therapist and they go, ha, that's what I was looking for. But I couldn't, but I didn't know. I just know that there's something missing from these other places that I'm looking. Um, I think the other thing to go back to what you were saying about that space still being so wide open, I'm very aware that there aren't many people out there offering what I'm offering. Mm. And, 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 and I knew it because, <laughs> because I didn't really have anybody to show me the way. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, had to, I had to find it myself and it, and it wasn't easy. It was hard to get to, to, get to that place where I understood Ah, this is this is it. This this is it. This is this is what I'm doing, and this is who I'm doing. This is what I'm doing it for. And to then put that into words, and 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 then deal with the, you know what what you were talking about before with with the fear of oh my god, can I really put this out there? <laughs> How yeah. does this sound? Mm. And you know, I had to go through my own um, through my own process around that. Um, to get to a place where now it's like, 
you know, it's there and it's exactly what I want to say and what I want to put out there. But that's not how, how I felt in the beginning. It is very difficult to claim yourself in those terms. As black women, we're not exactly, our, our existence is not ne necessarily desired or considered valid. Mm. So, you know, claiming yourself, yeah, becomes a bit of a process. And for me, it really came from a place of, I really wanted black women to know that this is something I made especially for you because nobody ever does that, right? Nobody ever does that for us. Mm -hmm. um, unless it's to get our money with weaves and other things like that, that things that um, negate our identity or to, you know, jump in on the bandwagon making products for curly hair um whoever does that for us so if we don't do it for ourselves who's going to do it not only that i i believe that we should be the ones doing it for ourselves because then we get you know to continue on the on the on the hair product analogy mm -hmm. then we get what we want and we get what we need because we know what we need other people don't know what we need mm -hmm. so how are they supposed to give it to us yeah And why should we expect it from them? Yes, why should we expect it from them? So you said you um, want to work with a specific black woman. Which black woman is this? So it's a black woman who is looking for her roots, which is not, it's not, it's not every black woman, right? Mm. Um, some black women look at my, my website and my posts and they cringe because that's just not the space they're in and that's okay. But I want to work with black women who are on this journey of self-discovery, of reclaiming their identity as black women and reconnecting with their with their African roots, whether or not they are uh, they were born or raised in Africa itself. Right. Phew, there's just so much to unpack, Yama. <laughs> So, so let's say a black woman who is trying to, who is struggling to fit into society as it is now and say approaches me to help her do that. That's not my ideal client. That's not some, somebody I'm going to be working with. Mm. Why do you think it's an important part of well-being to, yeah, reclaim your roots? Well, for us in particular, as a people, It is important because those roots were cut because we were yanked. We were violently yanked from our roots. I mean, we were traumatized. This, this is trauma. Uh, we, have, we have been made to feel ashamed of who, of who we are. Uh, we have been made to, to reject ourselves and to abuse ourselves. And the problem is... Is that you, you, I mean, try to picture a tree without roots. What happens to a tree that has no roots or whose roots are, mm. are dead or who's cut off from, from that's cut off from, from its roots? Mm. There is no tree. It's a dead, mm. hollow tree. Yeah. No substance. And it's the mm. same, and it's the same with us. And it's, uh, and it's not, you know, a few hundred people or a few thousand people. It's a racial, global issue. And so then there is no wonder that 
when you look around the world and you look at the condition of black people, it doesn't really matter what continent we're on. It's the same story. Yeah. And so I believe that the way to rehabilitate ourselves and therefore, or from there to um, collectively as a people build something that is strong, that is true, um, that is authentic and that is sustainable and that is not um, dependent on other people on other parts of the world. Mm. Um, I, that, that's the way forward. And, and there's a reason why those roots were cut, right? When people did that, they knew what they were doing. Yes, you can dominate a people who is divorced from their, from their roots. If you don't know where you came from, you, you don't know where you're going. Mm. That, that's why, for me, it's very important. So you say you've got six pillars uh, in your practice, and, you know, it also deals with, you know, decolonization of the mind mm. and, um, you know, identity... So when you, in your practice, which, is there a specific pillar uh, that is most challenging when you look at uh, the universal universality of the problems that, you know, black women face uh, in, in Western society in particular? Uh, challenging in terms of uh, to, to work with? Yeah, to work to with, uh, both or... for the client and uh, for yourself, where you find that it's really, this is... This is the part that's uh, hard labor. Like I said, you know, earlier, to which their trauma, right? Like for me, writing <laughs> is complicated. For you, it's easy, you know. For somebody, it depends on, on, on your history and what um, what's associated with that particular area. Young black women who have grown up in Denmark. Mm. I would say it's the... Um, the like how the, I want to say the decolonizing mind part, but to be more specific, uh, just how how you've come to think of yourself, mm. and uh, and also because they've grown up here, and because Denmark is such a small country that is so turned in on itself. They they don't have basically the other black people they know the mm. other Africans they know most of them will have very similar experiences. Mm. Mm. So then it becomes very hard to think outside the box, right? Yeah, people actually come to believe certain things about it's the internalized racism. I think that's that's it. It's the internalized racism. You know, you come to believe that black equals X, Y, or Z, and you don't even, if you say something different, somebody says something different, it's like, whoa, it's like you are turning their world upside down. Resistance. But that, what was that? Well, resistance in some cases, but in some cases just really being baffled, thinking mm -hmm. is, is that possible? It's like, I... 
have known all my life that the sky is blue, and now you're telling me that the sky is green? Mm -hmm. But so it's also very rewarding at the same time for me because I feel honored to be the one to break it to you that the sky can be green. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Shades and Layers celebrates Black women entrepreneurs and during the season you will encounter many amazing individuals with fascinating life stories. Today, today the spotlight falls on Angolan-born psychotherapist and healer Yema Ferreira and it's time to get to know her personal story. How did she get to recognize herself as a healer? Tell me about your international journey and how you ended up in, in Denmark. Oh God, where do you want me to start? <laughs> Very long. <laughs> I've moved around a bit growing up. Like you said, I, I'm from Rwanda. I was born in Luanda. When I was nine, we moved to Gabon and lived there for a little over a year, I think, mm. if I remember correctly. When I was 10 or 11, we moved to, to Belgrade in the former Yugoslavia. My mother worked there at the embassy for, and we were there for three years, about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we went back to Angola. Um, I went to university in the U.S., And then uh, I met my husband, who is Danish, and um, we lived there in Angola for a couple of years, two or three years. Mm. And then and then we moved here. That's how I ended up here. Yeah. Really. That's a yes, very in, in interesting international journey. <clears throat> yes, which serves me very well in my practice, actually. It's very, it's, it's very relevant because I think that... Um, That is that that's one thing that I can offer. It's not just that I am a black woman and I'm working with black clients, but you know, these black clients are coming from different places. And so my experience of living in different cultures is very useful for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how does uh, your family background serve you also? Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the woman thing. I come from a family of women. Uh, we are four children, all mm -hmm. girls, women. <laughs> uh, and my father, um, during my childhood, he was um, he was away a big portion of the time because he was um, he was away studying. You know, he was away doing his PhD in Germany mm. for 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 quite. I, I don't remember how long, but it was. Um, quite some years um and so it was me my sisters and my mom so i i grew up in an environment of very strong women very strong opinionated uh women who who did things you know like like in my house there was no such thing as you wait for the father or the brother to come to change a light bulb or You know, we we did all of that. We yeah. mm. we we fueled the generator. <laughs> <laughs> we washed the cars. <laughs> we picked the light bulbs, and we did the cleaning and the cooking, and we looked after the smaller children. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think, I think I, I suppose that the 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 womanist in me comes very much from my 
from my upbringing. Also, my mother is a very, um, my actually both my parents, you know, to speak of something that is helpful from my upbringing, my, my parents both live their lives according to their own values and their own principles and their own beliefs. They didn't, they didn't follow the crowd. They didn't compromise um, their principles mm. for comfort, you know, for material comfort, for example. So I think that's why I can put myself out there as I do, even if I had to go through my own process, which I sure, I'm sure my parents also had to do. Do you have an example of how they chose their own uh, path and didn't compromise their principles? So before independence, um, when these um, liberation movements were formed, there were different liberation movements, and they they were militants in the in the MPLA, which is the ruling party today. Mm-hmm. But when that uh, when that became corrupted. Um, Yes, they, they, they made choices that, that meant, you know, to, to speak their mind or to speak the truth or to, or to remove themselves from certain spaces. Mm-hmm. That meant that they didn't get that, um, you know, that cabinet ministry or they didn't get that, um, whatever it was um, of a privilege. That right. Them. I see. Yeah. Yeah. But also I think my mother as a woman lives very much um she's she's very much of a rebel and um has lived her life and continued to live her life not according to um social pressures or what people think how people think a woman should behave or what people think they um so that's not something that that affects me, right? That it's not something that I I don't I don't need to be married, have children, have a job, and have all the sort of the the social signifiers that you know that say that you are whatever. Mm. Um, and that I think has kept me focused on my goals. Yeah. There's one more thing I wanted to touch on before we wrap this up. Your fear of writing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you for sharing such a lovely poem, Nothing is Ever Lost. You're welcome. Wow, it's really wonderful. I listen to it over and over and, you know, each time it invokes uh, something different or something stronger. So, so what did it invoke in you? I'd like to know what people... Well, you know, this uh, being connected Mm. always from the beginning of time, because Mm. it's very hard to feel that Um, Mm. there's so much noise on a day to day. And just Mm. in general, there's just noise, noise. Mm. And, you know, just taking a moment to recognize that there's this long history, like unimaginably long history that's brought you this one single person to this moment and you know that there's still a connection you're not separate from that so that you know invokes a feeling of power um i guess uh you know being sure assured that you know you, you don't walk alone um mm-hmm. there's something mm-hmm. bigger than everything that carries you 
Mm. Um, yeah, through the everyday. And also just, you know, taking a moment to recognize that. That's a very powerful uh, action. And I think we very often forget being caught up in whatever it is that we get caught up in. Mm. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like the fear of writing. <laughs> <laughs> like the fear of writing. <laughs> we get caught up in things. Yeah. So yeah. how did that poem come about? It just came, really. Maybe four years ago, I, I had this period where all these poems came, um, and they were and they were all and they were all about about that about about history, sort of almost like the, the spiritual connection to our to our history and our ancestry, but then history itself and how it's been warped and what it's created in the now. So I guess I opened myself up. I made myself available in that period to receive those poems. And, and then I never really knew what to do with them because I write other stuff and I always know exactly what, you know, whether it's an essay, whether it's, a, and I have ideas about how to get them out into the world. But the poems are kind of like my precious stones, you know, I'm just mm. happy writing them. It's as if nothing ever happens to them it doesn't matter mm. i think that's the the poetry that's the the least complicated part of my relationship with with um with my writing oh wow so what are you going to do with them <laughs> well, was that just one. the start or <laughs> well this one this one i shared i figured you know i wanted to I wanted to share something to have a giveaway and you know I've been thinking about what can I do I can write a piece about that I can do I don't know some kind of a mental health test whatever and then um somebody said something about voice about using my voice and I had had an insight at some point that I'm also supposed to use my voice in my work so I don't know maybe I'll do a collection of um reading all the poems or an ebook collecting i don't know i haven't decided yeah. um so one final thing so who who heals you where do you go ah, for healing wow you ask very good questions <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in the first instance it's me because i really believe in self-healing and um that we all have it. And that's one of the things I always, you know, I try to tell my clients that, you know, we can do the work together, but ultimately they are their own healer. Mm -hmm. And that is actually also kind of a, a premise in African spirituality. There's no savior, right? There's nobody's going to come to save you. Mm. Um, you have to be your own, your own healer. Um, for example, for many years, um, I journaled, the level of healing that journal has um, given me, I think, is as as important and as um, as powerful as anything else. Then, when I need help, um, I have a therapist that I go to when I need. Um, mm -hmm. I'll be periods, um, you know, I'll have some periods where I'll be in therapy. 
I was like, I want someone to take care of me too. <laughs> <laughs> and then I also try different things like sound healing. Like last week I had a, an amazing uh, sound healing session. Um, going into nature and writing. Writing is also very healing to me, mm. right? When I, when I get over myself, and and journaling still yeah. of course i think my children too because because children have a way <laughs> children have a way of bringing up in you the things that you need to heal ah uh, yes <laughs> oh yes yeah they put it in your face and there's no running away mm. so definitely my children too Yeah, well, thank you very much for sharing your story. Where can people find you or reach out to you? Mm. So people can find me on Instagram at Black, Women Ther Black Woman Therapist. I don't know my own handle. <laughs> uh, on my website, it's called Yema Ferreira in one word, in one word, dot com, Yema Ferreira dot com. So it's Instagram and my website are really the the best places that's where i spend most time great mm -hmm. and that is all from shades and layers this time around thanks to yemma for sharing her story do stop by her website and listen to her poem nothing is ever lost thanks to you for taking time to listen i hope you found the information shared in this episode useful and that you are also inspired to follow your own chosen path if you like what you heard please do take a moment to go to Apple Podcasts and give this podcast a rating and a review, a positive one, of course. And you can also stay in touch via Instagram using the handle at Shades and Layers Podcast. I'm Kutuanas Kosana Ritchie, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, please do take good care. <laughs>